Well, it has been a great week, and I was so joyful to get to start this week, and after five incredible sermons, I don't feel quite worthy to end this week, uh, but that is what we are going to do. Uh, so this morning, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, I've been so thankful as I've been talking with your youth leaders about what the Lord's been doing in some of your lives. I know that some of you have recognized just a draw to this world and have seen how you need to be living for Christ uh, with greater zeal on your campuses, at home, and just daily obedience. Um, I praise God that there are many who have professed faith in Christ this week. That's awesome. And we thank God for that. And if that's you, if that's you, I'll just let you know, you should be so, so thankful uh, that you're here with a healthy church, with a small group leader and a youth pastor that loves you. And I would definitely make sure that you are finding out when is the next event and make sure you're there. When is the next time that your group's meeting and be there. Uh, praise God for that. Praise God that he is a uh, God of grace and kindness. Well, this week we've been looking at to live as Christ. And so opening night, just to kind of walk you through the flow, we, we asked the question, what are you living for? Uh, Pastor John preached about you can't live for Christ and live for this world. And we looked at the rich young ruler and how that man chose the world and not living for Christ, not living for him with a total commitment. And I'm so thankful for Austin and just how he's preached on the beauty and greatness of who Christ is, that he is our gracious redeemer, and that he mercifully gives enlightenment, helps us to see. And how good is the last night to know that we have help? We have help, that we're going to try to live as Christ, but he helps us along the way. It, we're going to leave here to live as Christ. And if you're a believer and you're thinking, man, what does that look like now? I want to go home. What, what great things I got to do? Well, really, just a reminder of what we talked about the first night. To live as Christ just means that Christ is everything. So it means day by day seeking to obey him. It just means to seek to cut out sin, having a passion for the lost, loving Christ, uh, even investing into others in the, in the local church. Today, I want to look at another how we live for Christ. I want to look at how do we do this? How does living for Christ happen? And so again, I ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 1. And believe it or not, we're going to look at our verse. It says, for me to live is Christ. That's been our theme. Christ is our passion. He's our treasure. He's who we honor. He's our master. We try to share him with everyone. We try to honor him in all that we do. And it says, and to die is gain. That dying is better. To live now is Christ, but I will be in a better situation at death. This is talking about hope in the next life. And we as Christians can live for Christ and are motivated to live for Christ when we remember that dying is gain. Flip over to Philippians 3, where again, Paul has this eternal perspective that there is something beyond this life, where it says, chapter 3, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This morning, I want to help you with living for Christ. I want to help you say to live is Christ. And we could do that by meditating on and thinking on the benefits of our relationship with Christ that we will receive in eternity. For that, I want you to turn to a very similar letter to Philippians, just one book to the right. Some of you, your Bibles are already there, to Colossians. I want you to look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is a great book. It's phenomenal. Its theme is the supremacy of Christ. The whole message of chapters 1 and 2 is that Jesus is better. And from chapter 3 on, it's all about, well, how should that affect our life? If Jesus is better, if he is supreme, then how will that affect how I live? And we see starting in 3.5, it affects that you put to death sin. It affects your relationships, that you seek to love one another, to benefit one another. It even talks about marriage relationships, parenting relationships. It'll affect unity within the church. It'll affect evangelism. But the turning point of the book, I think, is Colossians 3, 1 to 4. And that'll be our text this morning. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. And as we look at this text, I just want to help you. I want to, I want to provide maybe just another passage to help you. You know, we saw last night that Christ gives us help in our time of need. I think this passage is a good message, a passage to meditate on when we just don't feel like living for Christ. Colossians 3, 1 to 4 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So we look at this text, we see two commands this morning. Before we get to our actual outline, I want to give you some commands, and then I want to give you just kind of some some insights of what we should do with this passage. What should we do about these commands? And in this text, Paul gives us two things that he wants the believers in, in Colossae to do. You see these two words here. The first one is keep seeking. Chapter 3, verse 1, keep seeking the things above or seek the things above. Uh, the, this word here in the Greek is a word for desire, uh, endeavor, pursue. Uh, this is an intense chase. Paul tells you, Christian, to seek the things above. And if it helps you out, this word is used elsewhere in the New Testament. It's used to describe the Pharisees when it talks about them seeking a way to kill Jesus, right? They're intently looking, they're figuring out, they're talking, it's consuming their time. It's also used in the parable of the woman who loses the coin. And she's looking all over the house to try to find this coin. It's an intense pursuit, moving furniture around, doing whatever she can to find this coin. This is a pursuit. There's nothing cavalier about this. This is not a leisurely search. Uh, this is not when like, you're playing hide-and-go-seek with your sibling that you're eight years older than. And, like, you could see them as soon as you open your eyes or you're just kind of like meandering around to make them think that they you know, are actually hiding well. But this is like when a, when a man finds a woman he loves, tries to buy a wedding ring. Like some of you are planning to do after this week. Save that receipt. Anyway. Just, just, just trying to help you out here. 
right? And he's searching and he's looking and he's looking for deals and he's never spent much on anything that before because usually it's a $10 max at Taco Bell that he spends. And so he's, he's looking for whatever he can, right? It's that kind of searching here. Paul is telling him to seek the things above, pursue the things above. What he's talking about is heaven, eternal truths, Christ. With your life, put your back into your pursuit of heaven. And he's, he's not talking about here trying to get into heaven. He's not trying to say you need to earn your way in. We've talked about that all this week. It's by grace that we're saved. No, but it's a life that's centered around the reality that this world is not our home. But we don't belong here. There's a second command. Notice it in verse 2. It's set your mind. Set your mind. It's a command to think, to dwell, to meditate on something. So actively pursue the things of heaven and set your mind on heaven. Young people, I want to help you with something that I heard when I was younger. It's that your mind is a muscle. Your mind is a muscle. You can move it. It's not a, your mind's not a doormat that, you know, whatever comes your way, like, oh, now I've got to, you know, think on this. Your mind is a, you can place your mind. Like this Bible, I could take this, I could move it around, and I can set it right here. Well, same thing with your thinking. Here, Paul is saying, you have control of your thoughts, and I want you to think, to meditate on, to be consumed with heaven. Now, these two commands together work as Sister commands, you have this seek the things of heaven and set your mind on eternity. And, and as I've already mentioned, we, you know, we as believers, this is something we do as a Christian. We think about heaven. It's our home. Right? How many of you, you've loved camp this week, right? Love camp? How many of you would like to stay in your nice Bunk again tonight instead of sleeping in your own bed. No, stop it. You know that's not true, right? When you've got a home, or we'll just bring the bunk with you and we'll leave that there. No. Right? When you've got a home, you're thinking about home. I tell you, I love being here and I don't want to leave. But about five minutes on the ride home, I will be, I'm ready to be home. Amen? Amen, right? We got we to get home. Well, we're supposed to set our mind, our thoughts, on our eternal home. And as Christians, one of the normal attitudes, one of the normal actions of a Christian in Scripture is waiting. We don't like waiting, usually. Waiting's not something we like to do. It's why we don't like traffic. There's humor there that, you know, the Lord placed me in L.A. and I don't like traffic, but that is that. But what we do as believers is we wait. Philippians 3 20 says our citizenship is heaven from which we await a savior. First Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10 says this, talking about the conversion of the Thessalonians, that they turned to God from idols, serve the true and living God, and to wait for his son from heaven. So as believers, we are waiting for eternity. We are to expect it. And here, Paul is telling the believers to be consumed with, or to set their mind on heaven. 
Now, I'll be honest. We don't always do this. It's not our normal pattern. We get consumed with this world. We start thinking this is our home. We start acting like this is more than just a, a temporary habitat. And yet as those who live for Christ, we're supposed to think on heaven. In fact, if we want to live for Christ, it's a necessity. The, the, the rest of this chapter, and I think in chapter 4, flows out of this thinking on the things above. That if you want to think on the things above, then you, according to verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. You'll put to death sin, in particular sexual sin. If you think about the things above, you, you will put aside malice and anger, it says in verse 8. You won't lie to one another. Right? If you're thinking on the things above, then we will let peace, verse 15, rule our hearts. We'll let love be in our lives. We'll have unity with one another. And so if we want to live for Christ, we need to dwell on the things above. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, there's a lot of ways that we do that. A lot of it has happened this week, right? Because we've been sounded by Scripture. So we do that by reading the Word. We do that by making sure that we're connected to a local church, being there consistently. But we do that by encouragement from other believers to think on the things above. But this morning, here's what I want to do. As we wrap up camp, as we finish up, as we're looking at Colossians 3, 1 and 4, I want to give you, student, three reasons, three motivations from verses 1 to 4, to meditate on heaven, to, to take the time to do it. You know, the problem is we, we get off way too often. I want to encourage you to reorient your mind heavenward and to remember that this world is not our home. Make it a priority because in doing so, we can live for Christ. Three motivations this morning to think on heaven. To, to say, like, I want to unplug from this Instagram or Snapface world that I'm living in or whatever's going on. Uh, I don't want to care about these. I want to care more about heaven than the upcoming game or prom or whatever other movie's coming out. This is where I want my attention to be. Three motivations. Here they are. Number one, dwell on heaven. Dwell on heaven because your identity is there. Dwell on heaven because your identity is there. Now, identity is a big deal for people, and particularly for youth, right? There's a way that you want to be viewed. Uh, there's, a, there's a reputation that we want to create for ourselves. And so because of that, we will dress in certain clothes. We'll take an interest in certain hobbies. Uh, we'll, you know, pose at certain places. We want to, you know, create this Instagram profile of, uh, you know, that we show that we're a traveler or we're a food connoisseur. And so, you know, we, we place our burger just right and the cup just right and show people this great handcrafted meal we had from Jack in the Box and maybe not. Uh, but right, but we, we care about our reputation. We care about our identity. And yet, often we, we care about our identity in all the wrong ways in an earthly way. What I love is that Scripture tells us our identity. Right? Our culture is like, you're a teenager, you kind of need to discover who you are on your own. Friends, Scripture tells us who we are. Tells us who we were. Tells us that your identity prior to being a Christian, and if you're here this morning and you're still not a believer, that our identity is that we were dead in our sin. That we didn't just do sin, that we did it often, 
And that we did it with a smile on our face, Ephesians 2, 3, indulging in the desires of the flesh. It says that our identity, according to Romans 5, 8, is that we were enemies of God. Uh, That according to Colossians 1, that we were hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. And we were by nature, Ephesians 2, 3, children of wrath. That was our identity before Christ. And yet in Christ, we have been given a new identity. 3.1 says that you have been raised up with Christ. And that word there, if, is not if. It's talking to believers. It actually should be translated since. Since, if you're a believer, you've been raised up with Christ. What that is talking about And that is talking about the new birth, that you were dead in your sins, but God made you alive. In the same way that he spoke in Genesis 1 and created this world, he spoke into your life and created a new heart that loves Christ. Take a look at verse 3. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. You know, I became a believer when I was in eighth grade. By God's grace, a youth pastor told my mom, who was a realtor, hey, you could, sell your, you could sell our house. You just have to use some of your commission to send your kid to summer camp. I like that kind of evangelism. It's tricky evangelism, but it's good. And I got saved uh, at the following winter camp. You know what happened when I got saved? I died. And the other night, we could have had some funerals, because when you became a believer... The old you died because there was that old, nasty self whose primary aim was sin. And now God, in his mercy, has given you a new identity in heaven. Your your life is hidden with Christ. It's there with him in heaven. That is where you're headed. He gave you a new identity. And so now, you're no longer a child of wrath. You're no longer a child of this world. But Peter calls us, in his epistle, aliens and strangers who don't belong here, are just passing through. Hebrews calls us sojourners. John 1.12 says it's not just that we don't belong to this world now, but that since we've received Christ, we've been given the right to be called children of God. You've been redeemed and adopted, and so now you have a new family. See, friends, we don't belong here. Our citizenship, again, Philippians 3.20, is in heaven. And I often think one of our biggest reasons we don't evangelize is we're too worried about rocking the boat in this world. Friends, we don't belong in this world. Trying to get comfortable like we're going to live here forever is like staying the night in a hotel room and thinking, you know, I should redecorate this place a little bit. Let's bring in a new bed, some couches. I mean, checkout's at four tomorrow, so let's get the carpet done quick, right? Be foolish. It's not where we belong. But our identity, where we belong, is in heaven. Why do I bring this up? You know, when I was a teenager, and I'm sure it's the same for you, I never really liked, it was always hard, coming to a new group, right? When you go in a new group, you get into a big room, or if you've ever like changed schools, 
Like everybody knows each other except you. You don't know any of these people. Some of you maybe even felt like that this week. You're coming to camp. You're totally new. You're like, I don't know any of these people. And then you, you found out like, okay, there's, there's some nice people here. This is good. Right? We don't like that because it feels strange. You know, I, I remember one time uh, going on a, on a mission trip and going to Uganda. And it was great. Loved the people there. But there was just times like, I'm not fitting in here. It's strange. I don't get the culture. Uh, I don't get what's going on here. As believers, we should feel that kind of strangeness in the world. We should look at the way that the world thinks. And go, man, I just don't get that. Why? Because we don't belong here. But when we get to heaven, there will be no strangeness. It won't feel weird for the believer because Christ will be honored and everything will be right. When we're in heaven, we will be the truest self of who we are. We will actually be who we were made to be. And we'll say, this is right. This is not odd. This is not strange. This is where I'm meant to be. So we dwell on heaven because our true identity is there. Our true identity is in heaven. Number two, we dwell on heaven because our Savior is there. We dwell on heaven because our Savior is there. Verse Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, you've been raised up with Christ. Seek the things above where Christ is. I'm all about simple definitions. At our church, I'll often say, what is a Christian? Christian is someone who loves Jesus Christ. He's our greatest affection. He's our greatest treasure. It actually says in verse 3, or verse 4, that Christ is our life. He's the whole purpose of our life. He's the one we've centered our lives around. That's what makes life here difficult. You know, we look at this world, and the biggest problem of our world is that people don't love Christ. You understand that, right? You understand that when you watch the news and they're talking about politics, you, watch, you see you know, the, the laws, you see people say, like, our culture's going bad. You realize that the problem isn't the liberals, or the problem isn't the liberal conservatives, or the problem isn't fake Christians, or the, 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 problem, the problem isn't like, ah, oh, we, we don't have the right view on these, these laws. The problem is that Christ isn't honored. The problem is Christ isn't lifted up. He's not loved. He's not treasured. That's the main problem. But when we get to heaven, he is honored. In fact, he's already honored there. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, keep seeing things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The right hand of God will be a place of honor, a place of authority, a place of majesty. So he is lifted up. And that, friends, is why heaven is heaven. You understand what our great reward is in heaven? You know, sometimes you'll ask people, like, why do you want to go to heaven? Like, well, I don't want to go to heaven because, you know, then, then, or I want to, or sorry, I do want to go to heaven because then I'll get to see some of my old relatives and, you know, I won't have pain anymore. And, you know, I'd really miss my pet, that goldfish that I got two days ago at camp. That passed away so suddenly. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing him again in heaven. 
Cats won't be in heaven, by the way. We'll just, we'll just sum that up now. But anyway, um, do you want to know why heaven is heaven? Do you want to know what the reward is of heaven? What the prize is of heaven? What it is that we're waiting for? It's Christ. We get Jesus. We get fellowship with our Savior. We get Him. We get to draw near with Him and be with Him. Heaven's friend, heaven, friends, is about a person. You know, so often, uh, you know, you ask people at heaven, you're, you'll see how it's displayed in movies, and it's, you know, always like light blue in the background with like smoke everywhere, and people are playing harps. And people's like, man, heaven sounds boring. Yeah, because that view of heaven is boring. Heaven is not boring because Jesus is there. It's him that we get. Revelation 21 says that, that we will be with him and he will be, our, or, sorry, he will be our God and we will be his people. Christ is the one we get. I love traveling. I mean, everyone says that. That's like so millennial. Like, I love traveling. Snap pictures. But I do like visiting certain places. I've been up to Seattle a few times. Uh, my wife and I have actually driven up there from Los Angeles. We love going there. And I'll be honest, as a slightly chubby person, one of my favorite places there is there's a donut shop. I know. It's called Top Pot Donuts. Fancy, fancy donuts. They do a salted caramel old-fashioned that is just out of this world. And it's cool because it's kind of in downtown. Uh, you, there's a, you enter on the first floor like you do in most buildings, and there's a staircase, kind of a private lounge up top. You hang out, read a book, get a good cup of coffee, eat a donut. It's just awesome. But I'll be honest right now, if you're like, hey, Josh, you know, great job at camp. You know, hey, I got you a ticket. Here's a plane flight from Albuquerque to Seattle. Why don't you go ahead and hang out for a couple of days and enjoy it there? I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want to go. Let me tell you why. Part of what makes Top Pot special is my wife and I were exploring the city. And we found it. And we didn't, you know, see any Yelp reviews. We just kind of found this shop. And what makes it special is not because I like that place, but I like it with her. Like, I just don't want to be there geographically. I want to be there with her. Friends, heaven is the same way. Heaven without Jesus is not heaven. Christ is what makes heaven heaven. It's not about a place. It's about a person. We get to be with this one who loved us, who saved us. This one that we've heard about all week who, is, who healed the demoniac who is praying for you as your great high priest, you get to be with him and see him and fellowship with him and enjoy him forever. That is our reward. That's why we keep saying to live is Christ because I want to be with Christ forever. And so we dwell on eternity. We dwell on heaven because our identity is there and friends, our savior is there. We get to be with Christ whom we have no business being with. I just love what Peter said when he saw Jesus with the, the, you know, the miraculous catch of fish. He says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. It's true for us as well. And yet we will get to be in Christ's presence forever because he saved us. Dwell on heaven because your Savior is there. Finally, 
Why else do we dwell on heaven? We dwell on heaven because our hope is there. Because our hope is there. Take a look at verse 4. It says, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed. Let's stop right there. Christ, who is our life, is revealed. What does that mean? It means that one day we will see him in his full glory. That the the apostles didn't, they saw him in his humanity, but they didn't see him in the fullness of his glory. Only three of them did at the transfiguration, and they couldn't even bear it. Peter freaked out, didn't even know what to say. So he's like, "Uh, we should build you some tents. They got to see Christ. We'll get to see Christ in all his glory. Friends, he is, is not the man crucified anymore. He has been resurrected. And he has been given all authority. John 17 says this. This is Jesus praying to the Father. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus' prayer, as he's praying for the, the salvation of those who come to trust in him, his prayer is that those who have believed would make it to heaven to see his glory. That's one of the reasons of your salvation. One of the main reasons why you are saved is to see the glory of Christ and rejoice in that glory. By the way, side note, if Jesus prayed it, I'm guessing the Father's going to answer that, right? So, so if you're a Christian, this is the aim. This is what Jesus is praying for. So I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that in verse 4. Here's where I get a little nervous in verse 4. It says, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Okay, I get a little nervous when I read that. Because we live in a culture where more and more there are churches that will tell you that God exists almost as this kind of genie. It's about living your best life now, and you kind of use God to show off how good you are. I was watching a student leadership video, and the message of the video is this. It was basically this. You're pretty awesome, and God will look good while you show everyone how awesome you are. So I get nervous when it talks about us being revealed. Right? We know that Christ, we will see his glory. I get a little nervous when it talks about us also being revealed because of our culture. So what does this mean? What does this mean? Friends, this is good news. This is our hope. This is what we have to look forward to. And I want to show you a few verses, but let me tell you what this means. It means that if you've placed your faith in Christ, that you will one day be glorified. Well, let's turn to three verses. Philippians 3. A couple pages to the left. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into the conformity with the body of His glory 
by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So in other words, Jesus will be glorified. We'll see him in his glory. And when we go into eternity, we also will be transformed. We will be transformed. We will be perfected. You will be given a new body, a perfect body, an eternal, incorruptible body that cannot sin and whose affections are always right. And he will do it, it says, according to his glory. There, it matches up here. There's a relationship. Turn again, to, turn to 1 John 3. Had a little bit to you, right? 1 John chapter 3 talks about the exact same thing. Chapter 3, 1 John verse 1 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, when we see him, that we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. When we, are, when we see the glorified Christ, God will also glorify us as well. And I don't mean glorify in the sense of make much of us. I mean he will perfect us. He will change us permanently. In the same way that he changes us now in sanctification and process, there will be a permanent change. Last verse, 1 Peter, just a little to your left, chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Peter says, and again, he's talking about thinking. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, keeping sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace of to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace. We sing about grace. We're to fix our hope on this grace. Think about it. It's what we're hoping in. We've sung this week about God's amazing grace. And what we see when we look at Scripture is that God has shown us so much grace. Ephesians chapter 2 says you are not saved by works, but by grace, saved by faith, according to his grace. Titus 2 calls Jesus the God of grace. 1 Corinthians 15, we are what we are by his grace. We, our maturity is because of his grace. You have a spiritual gift, and that word for gift is the same word for grace. So even your talents and abilities that you get to honor the Lord are God's goodness and grace towards you that you did not deserve. And he keeps you because of his grace. Do you realize that God is not done showing you grace yet? This amazing grace as he has shown you he has not shown you all the grace yet that he will. Because when you die, 
instead of getting what we deserve, which is a body that will, would exist forever in hell, fit to absorb the whole wrath of God for years and years and years and millennia and millennia to never perish. Instead of getting that, God in his grace will perfect you. And he'll change you. And he'll make you worship him perfectly. And he'll kill your flesh and all desires for sin. And you will perfectly love God. You will understand him greater than you do now. So there's a, there's a lot of things in this world that I don't like. I'm, I would even say hate. Uh, you know, maybe certain sports teams. I don't like cats or country music. We talked about that. But one thing I just absolutely can't stand in this world is my own flesh. I hate it. I hate the fact, and I'm sure you do too, that you can come to an amazing camp like this and be like, I, wanted to, I want to live for Christ. And on the bus ride home, you're going to say something just stupid because you're selfish. I hate the fact that I go to a church and I work for a church, and yet I find my affections dry sometimes. I hate the fact, and I'm sure you do too, that you've said, I will never do blank again. And you do it. Right? We, we want to honor Christ, and yet we don't. I hate the fact that I'm listening to the right verse, singing the right song, and yet I'm just not there. Friends, there's coming a day where that struggle will be over. Gone. You struggle in this life to live as Christ and you fight for it dependently. But that will be over in heaven. Your flesh, gone. That struggle, gone. That selfishness that ruins relationships, that porn that you're always drawn to, that world that always looks enticing, it will no longer be a desire, but you will have perfect affections and worship the Savior perfectly. And you will enjoy fellowship with him forever. That is what we have to look forward to. That is the grace of our God. That's what awaits us in heaven, friends. Our identity is there. Our Savior is there. And we will enjoy him. Because by his grace, he will actually allow us to enjoy him perfectly for the first time. So, may we seek things of heaven. May we say in this life to live as Christ. Because forever, we will perfectly be able to say to live as Christ. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the future that we have to look forward to. I thank you that it's so much better than this world. Thank you that we get what we don't deserve. God, that in the beginning, Adam and Eve were cast out. And yet in the end, you draw us back, not to a place, but to yourself. God, we're so thankful with your patience and goodness and help that you show us in this life. Pray, Lord, that we would be 
fueled by what awaits us in heaven. And in doing so, we would honor Christ now as we await fellowship with him in eternity. It's Christ's name we pray. Amen.